Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet, and birthday boy Michael Super. <laughs> <laughs> that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT. Oh, oh. oh. Pay-per-views, <laughs> premium live events. Uh, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a mega quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AW Dynamite's Grand Slam. I, I don't know how to feel about this show, Sid. It was kind of all over the place. Yes, it was an incredibly stellar two hours of television that I had some fairly significant problems with. And I guess the broad sort of succinct take that I can muster is that this era of AEW, as compared to other eras of AEW, is, for me, increasingly defined by a pretty stark difference. I used to be mesmerized, caught off guard with the things that I didn't think about that this company had and then floored me with. Lately, as has been the case for much of the last year, I start to really think that some of the stuff they do, I could correct and I could edit to make it better. And I think a lot of fans have the same opinion. Not that I could book it. I couldn't book it. I could script supervise the shit out of this thing <laughs> at times. Give me the complete format sheet to, to Dynamite. And there's nothing that I haven't thought of that I'm just floored by. But there are things that I could get the red pen out and say, don't do that. Don't do that, particularly after that. Kind of change that. Are you sure about that? And that's a little bit, eh, a little bit grim for me. But so much on this show was just out and out awesome. Yeah, this, this for me, this was like the best mid-feeling show I can remember. Like the best mid-feeling show. It's very important I say those two things together. Um, we were talking about this over the desk before you came in, Sitch, and like I'm very aware this week in particular, especially because in some ways we are, could have like identical criticisms of some of the problems that we will get into as mm -hmm. we review this. It's impossible not to have your feelings informed by your own inherent biases. So for all the reasons I think I enjoyed Raw, you probably enjoyed this, and yet we would find fault with the same stuff. Like the opener in particular 
I was that like drawn in by the match quality of Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley that I was willing to forgive a terrible, terrible finish. A terrible finish. It wasn't a terrible finish. It was a, like on Raw. It was a terrible oh, Raw, finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A terrible Great finish, right? But I was willing to forgive it for the six or seven things I remembered from the match that I loved way more. Mm. I, it didn't work the other way around on this Dynamite. There was a couple of matches that I was really taken out of because of bad finishes. And then I reflected back and be like, what did I remember the most? Uh, bad finish or whatever. Uh, like, I couldn't say this was a bad wrestling show, because it very obviously wasn't. It very obviously wasn't a bad show. It didn't feel a great deal for much mm, for it. Just, you're and a I'm fed guy through and through, you are. Deep down, yeah. And like, our, Weird. I, I think there's actual problems worth addressing in like some of the things that took place on, on the show. That took place on this specific Dynamite. On Raw. That made it mid-fit. Like, I'm looking forward to digging into it, because yeah. the great wrestling is out there. It's very, very visible. And I think so, which is maybe... Like to sort of build on what you're saying, Sitch. But some of the problems are maybe not as pronounced to everybody. And maybe if you do watch this with an analytical eye, the red pen, as you say, that's where you could see stuff, the lack of an editor or the, just somebody in there in the show running capacity or whatever it is. If you're watching it for that, as well as just taking what's being fed to you, you would pick at stuff. And I think there was plenty to pick at here. Yeah. There's still minus one worse finish than on Raw. But... We'll, we'll, we'll go on. I, you know what I felt? Not I, that you have to compare the two shows. You don't. No, I'm, I'm thinking, so we watch this every week. We watch yeah. all this sort of stuff, and you think, well, what did I like the most? What did I feel the most for? And, like, again, like, I get situated aghast with hearing this. Like, I did like Raw more than I liked this. There was things, there was just more things I liked. Weird. And yet, yeah, there, were, there was one finish that was exponentially worse than anything that happened on this show. And I just, I, no, there was one thing on this show across the whole night that actually got me, like, pumping my fist off my chair, yes. getting one single thing, and it was nothing that could have been talked about on the preview or in the run-up to it. Yes. You know? i got to say, I, I, I didn't like Raw more than this show, but I did feel guilty after watching this show of, like, should I have felt more or felt different about it? I don't know whether it is, as I often say, whatever happens at the end of a show is my... I've got, like, goldfish memory, so I go, like, ah... That's my memory of the entire thing. So Raw could be dreadful for two hours and 55 minutes, but if you have a great finish, I come in and go, was Raw the best Raw ever? I don't know. The end of the show, I was a bit like, oh. And then, I, I, you know, I go on Twitter and I see Matt Raines, for example, giving his uh, rating for this show, and I read other articles about what they thought of this show. And there were some moments I was really enjoying and I thought was great, and I sense the one thing that you referenced there is something that I was ecstatic about. And I ran through some of the stuff and I was like, I enjoyed this, I enjoyed this, I, I, I'm intrigued to see where this goes next or whatever. But I didn't feel, I don't know whether as well, Sige, it's because I sat here yesterday with you and went, this is going to be the best show, one of the best shows ever. And yet again, it's one of those things where I come in and almost arms folded going, go on then, impress me for two hours. I, I don't can't think, put my finger exactly on what it is about this show because there's stuff on this show that I really enjoyed and will remember. And Grand Slam has this sort of legacy that goes with it. But yeah, afterwards I felt like, I feel like I should feel more for this show than I actually do. I get it, but I enjoyed it enormously, yeah. warts and all. But we'll probably find out more as we go on. Exactly. Let's let's pick the bones of this, and then we can uh, we can dissect it a little bit more because the show opened uh, with a match that neither myself or Siege predicted would open this show: uh, the Ring of Honor World Title match. It was Chris Jericho versus the Champion Claudio Castagnoli, and uh, a sort of a. Uh, a sneak peek at the entire match came in the opening three seconds where Chris Jericho said, bollocks to honour, and just slapped Claudio straight in the face. I thought he wasn't going to shake his hand initially. He did, but uh, immediately then slapped him in the face. And uh, Claudio was like, right, I'm going to kick your head in because of that. 
just fires off loads of uppercuts, which look great as always. Um, crotch Jericho in the ropes just to teach him a lesson. So great. Um, speaking of great, Jericho rolls to the outside and <laughs> sorry, and high time goes talking. Shoves him into Claudio to take over <laughs> and goes and goes. Well, I guess that's my spot over. I'm going to go and sit back down and watch the rest of this match. <laughs> uh, they have a chop battle. Jericho springboards straight into an uppercut. Um, forearm exchange on the apron. Jericho eye rakes and suplexes Claudio to the floor. Uh, eventually, Claudio gets back in, gets up top, but Jericho fights him off. Hurricane Rana. Uh, Claudio goes for the super Ricola bomb, but Jericho, yeah, counters that into a Hurricane Rana for a two count. Uh, Claudio, because he's mint, powers out of the code breaker into a pop-up uppercut. That gets him a near fall as well. Uh, the hammer and anvil elbows from Claudio, double stomp to the chest, puts him in the sharpshooter, but Jericho gets the rope break. Um, Jericho, again, sign of things to come, goes for a low blow, but Claudio bo- blocks it and hits the Ricola bomb for a great near fall that I thought may well, may well have been the finish. He goes for his springboard uppercut, but Jericho counters that with a code breaker. That gets him a near fall. Puts him in the walls of Jericho. Claudio rolls through into stomps of his own. Does the giant swing. Gets nearly 20, I believe. Which always, I think, you know, it's not fake, right, this this thing that we love. But it is sort of, oh, we're going to work through this. I never understand. Like, I could pretend to be hit with the most brutal punch of all time or the hidden blade. I can't see it coming or anything like that. And just go, well, I'm fine, actually. I don't understand that with a giant swing because I get dizzy, like, going on a swing at the park, for example. So how they just go, yeah, we'll do that, and then we'll just obviously carry on yeah. this amazing dance of wrestling or what have you. Anyway, um, huge lariat. Jericho kicks out. Again, Jericho goes to get the Floyd the bat this time. Claudio catches it um, but blocks him. Um, Jericho backdrops Claudio almost into referee Aubrey Edwards. She's getting rid of the bat. Jericho finally lands his low blow. Judas effect. Jericho, wi- I think, wins or completes. I never know the quite right phrasing it. this. Regardless, he's got the Ocho. He is Wilborn the- loves the Ocho. Yeah, that, he- that sounded like a Wilbornism straight away, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, I said this. It's a different way of saying it. I said this to Sid yesterday. I was a bit like, oh, Jericho fighting for the Ring of Honor World title. I'm not sure if they... The Ocho, well, put the title on him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he hit the Judas effect. One, two, three. Chris Jericho is an eight-time world champion. He's the Ring of Honor world champion. And everyone, except one, every single member of the, the Jericho Appreciation Society, can't believe what's just happened. They are ecstatic. And then there's Daniel Garcia going, yeah, <laughs> sort of. Your thoughts on all this? I want to touch on the big sort of major show-long flaw that a lot of people had problems with. I think there is storyline and character justification for every single finish that happened in the first hour of the show. The simple fact of the matter is you do not do three of them in a row. You just don't do them. Mm -hmm. Just to go through them, Jericho, the whole idea is he's the sports entertainer who's sworn off wrestling. His ego swelled to even more mammoth proportions. He realizes he's bigger than this pro wrestling industry. He's a sports entertainer to the bone. And he's now going to sully the purity and good name of Ring of Honor by cheating and being a dick. And that is going to inform a presumably great storyline in which someone like a Garcia or a Danielson reclaims the honor. That's all very good. Mm -hmm. And in order to launch this story, he needed to cheat here, right? That's very good. Swerve Not Glory versus The Acclaim. (laughs) If you remember, they came together as mates. They were helping each other out against the gun club, and they were kind of drawn together. Not the best story, but that is the story. Then, in the match, 
which is babyface versus babyface, Swerve Strickland broke the gentleman's agreement, targeted Anthony Bones, uh, sort of dubious, if you like, knee, and then they won the match as a result because it was just they did the the transgression, something that's a no no in wrestling, particularly when you're wrestling someone you have a healthy degree of respect for. Mm-hmm. You don't go after the injury; it's vicious, it's nasty, it's unfair, it's not sportsmanlike. To equalize that, and because Swerve Strickland cheated in the match or attempted to cheat, mm-hmm. even though um, it was his undoing, Billy Gunn interfered, and it's a bit of payback and sets up the third pack. Right, for over two years removed from the match where he's like, I hate you and your comedy bollocks on a serious match, don't fuck around. The second he gets the serious match, he cheats. It's proper bastard stuff. In isolation, all three of these finishes work. Do not do them God, no. in the first three matches in succession. It just gets away from the, say all the time, spirited hard-fought defeat. Go down on your sword like a man, like a badass. That's the way to lose. And it's really kind of bleak that Tony Khan is getting even more um, reluctant to beat people when that's kind of been a core problem with his booking and prolonging dream matches for so goddamn long at this point. So those three in succession were a bit dispiriting, just in case it got Mm. a bit redundant throughout. The match itself, I thought this was ace. Bathed in noise. Chris Jericho has got no right whatsoever to wrestle like he does. That... Midair Hurricane Rana reversal. Wild. Oh, like, oh my god. Oh my god. Did you see Cesaro uh, Claudio's hands from the Ricola yeah. bomb and how he had to let go? It, like, the timing on it was just spectacular. It completely caught me off guard. It was Chris Jericho at that age has got no right. No. Because as he himself points out, he's never been the most exhilarating, fast, slick precise guides, not always wrestled. He just happened to wrestle alongside cruiserweights who have that style and that ability. We're kind of the last guys to do that. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. But I don't think I've ever seen him do anything that athletically impressive in his life. Mm. It was absolutely sensational. Yeah. Like, out of this world, great. Claudio did like this flip evasion counter that was just great. The story of the match was great. If you fly anywhere near me with your lion hot stuff, I'm just going to uppercut you out of thin air. And Chris Jericho, again, the thread is... I'm not as good as wrestling as I would like to believe. That's why I'm a sports entertainer at my core. I'm just going to be a complete cock about it. This match was white hot in the uh, in the stadium, which wasn't um, hued with blue. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, the way they lit it. Gratuitous, right? Wide shot, wide shot, wide shot. We got buried. We got annihilated for not showing off the scope of the stadium. Every time they're doing something a little bit boring on the match, boom, wide shot. I know it was gratuitous probably even excessive. I could have watched it from that view all night because it looked lush. This match was great. And if they'd been a little bit cleaner throughout the rest of the night, this would have really resonated as yes. this big, oh, you dickhead doing that to Ring of Honor. But unfortunately, they did excessively go to that well once too often. Yeah, I thought this was the best match of the night, to be honest. I, like, I got the most out of this in terms of just bell to bell more than anything else on the show. And like as Cedric points out, they're kind of it's kind of criminal sloppiness at this point, the the repeating of the finishes, because as well in the first hour, three interrupted interviews in a row. Not even just interrupted interviews spliced between the matches, three back to back to back. Mm. So you've got these two egregious examples of yet again, like Tony Khan lacking an editor or lacking a voice brave enough to speak up and be like, uh, can we? Like I just I love the story of this so much. It was so it, I love watching a simple story told through like exhilarating pro wrestling. I quite enjoy piling on Chris Jericho when he's having this really great year 
But like we do with Triple H, I like doing that little neggy thing. We're like, yeah, but like in this fantastic year, look at your line of opponents. And like, of course, Claudio is another one that is going to give you this great match, but he absolutely equaled in here. Like he was as important to this match being as great as it was, in my opinion. Um, the Kerry Silkin stuff was so funny. It was like watching <laughs> I loved it. Ross and Rachel and Phoebe trying to get his bed up the stairs in Friends. Like that was the sort of the stiffness with which Kerry Silkin moved. You know, which, not dig at him particularly, but oh. it was just added to the sort of dark, bizarre humour of the whole scene. Good, flawed idea. Yeah, uh-huh. like worth trying anyway. Jericho's done that before, hasn't he? Like where he attacks the, the loved one in the crowd or whatever. It's, it's a good bit of his. Um, yeah, the, the, like Chris Jericho... Ball shot in the workhorses is a ring of honor run I want to see before somebody saves the soul. You know, they know what they're doing here. This is not a bad idea. This is a very good one. And it was executed in the best possible way. And a, a combination of the crowd being bang up for everything, the work being strong, um, yeah, by far. And and the finish at this point not being an overplayed one made this like the best match of the night for me. Um, I would have to disagree slightly with Sidgwick on the presentation of Arthur Ashe. I still don't think they've quite nailed it. I thought it looked better than last year for the lack of colour in the... The people looked like people yes. instead of a sea of blue. So a big improvement. Get... I, like, I don't know if it was maybe because they didn't sell as many tickets this year. Get a camera. Didn't. Get a fisheye camera at the back of that building. They can't. If you notice, they set the camera... Yeah when they did those shots to like the front row of the hard cams opposite to the hard cam. And then because they didn't, they only sold 12,000. Like less people this year, obviously is a different problem than last year, but like, I'm not getting enough scope still. It was good. It was better. I think when Paige came out later on, there was obviously to capture the scale of the pop. You saw the crowd in totality, which was tremendous. But I like, and I tell you what, it sounded really good. I will get, it sounded big. Like it sounded like, not echoey, but you could feel like the sort of the swell of noise for the big spots in the matches. So I'll give them that. But visually, it's still not quite what I think it could be, Arthur Ashe. Uh, that was immediately followed. Well, a little video package from the Road 2, which was just great. Um, the, the video that they made on their YouTube channel and obviously the day before. They share a bit of that for, for Danielson Moxley later. Then we get the tag team title match. It is swerving our glory defending uh, against the acclaimed with a load of rappers who I didn't really know a lot about coming out with them. Fabulous, uh, fabulous, I don't know. Uh, and <laughs> DJ, woo, kid. No idea. Um, the main rapper, I you, get. That's because you're very lame. Yes, yeah, I, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, of course, know Fabulous very well, LTSD, because he uh, didn't show up for that WrestleMania rap battle with John Cena. <laughs> WrestleMania 19, because I'm very, very connected to youth culture from 2003 wrestling shows. <laughs> uh, the rap I cared about was Max Casters, and uh, yeah, made up for the fact that he hasn't been able to say much recently. Uh, references to The Little Mermaid, uh, references to Cuomo. Don't ever disrespect me, looking like a 20-ounce and two-litre of Pepsi. Uh, and concluding with swerving our glory holes, which... Uh, Surprisingly, got oh yeah, Pappy in the Wilborn household. Um, early on, he's had that one in his back pocket for about a month. Yeah, yeah, he's just waited. He's yeah. just waited. Uh, Anthony Bowens, don't try and single leg Keith Lee. <laughs> Immediately gets ragdolled, of course, for that. Um, and within about a minute, yeah, Lee's hit a hurricane runner. <laughs> it's just preposterous to, to say. Um, he goes to. Be a huge beal on Caster, but Caster manages to count that counter that into an arm drag, uh, and they set up for a for a crowd popping scissor. But Swerve's like, we're not doing any of that bollocks tonight. Of course, gets the immediate reaction from the crowd. That does. Uh, they isolate Caster through the uh, commercial break. They target his leg. This again would come into play later on. Uh, but then Caster can dodge a Lee splash, hit Swerve with a power slam, 
uh, and a brain buster on Keith Lee, which was bonkers as well, uh, allows him to get over to Bowens for the hot tag. He comes in, he runs wild, and then he gets dropped by Keith Lee with a headbutt, and uh, Bowens gets field onto the stage over the top, which was, yeah, crazy yet again. Lee goes for his, again, ridiculous moonsault off the second rope. He, get, he misses that. Swerve tries to cheap shot Caster with the boom box, but Caster ducks and Swerve <gasps> hits his partner. Bowens hits the spinning neck breaker, and you think, this is it, this is it. The tag titles are going to change. But as Caster goes up top for the mic drop, his leg gives out or his knee gives out because of being worked over earlier on in the match. And everyone kind of buys it, maybe not as much as they did at the pate, but like, oh, bollocks. It looks like it's going to be Bowens this time fighting all off by himself. Um, Swerve hits a back kick in the corner uh, and Fireman's carry release into a pounce from Keith Lee. Uh, and then they hit an assisted powerbomb on Caster and you think, oh, well, the story of bloody the acclaimed. So near and yet so far, but Caster kicks out at two. Uh, Swerve, with both of the acclaimed out on the floor, Swerve hits a springing 450 onto them, face off with daddy ass, and as the referee is is getting involved with Keith Lee, Bowens hits a spinning forearm on Swerve, spins him around into the fame asser from Billy Gunn, he chucks him in, Bowens hits his spinning neck breaker, Caster hits the mic drop, one, two, three, the acclaimed are finally Tag team champions, huge pap, confetti, scissoring everywhere. Um, just a lovely final conclusion to this this feud. Well, not potentially not final, I suppose. I hope it's not final. I hope Swerve and our glory say, look, Billy Gunn got you that win, not yourselves. Let's have a bare knuckle rubber match then. <laughs> because I think that there's loads of drama to exploit um, in the fact that the acclaimed, I think, are sentimental champions. They're not really primed for the big, long, Young Bucks title reign. No. They're not that kind of tag team. And I think a lot of people know and suspect this. So if they do the rubber match, it'll really feel like people might think, oh, you know what, let's oh, buy on every single near fall because they might just lose. They might have just been given it as a nice thank you for getting over, but then maybe they're not the kind of team who can give you a classic five-star match on pay-per-view for a full calendar year. So I think they can really exploit the drama in a third. And on the subject of that, it's a good job this was euphoric and so noisy because I don't think they did anywhere near enough to exploit the inherent drama in this match. I think they had a great layout, but it was just so rushed and at times messy that it was underwhelming between the ropes. But again, the whole spectacle and presentation, it kind of didn't matter. And it was just as well. I loved them doing that particular Keith Lee head scissors spot early because the idea was not only am I massive, not only am I freakishly strong, but I can kind of do better things than even Max Caster can do. You kind of fucked. You can't really do anything against me. And I love the idea of them being able to withstand Keith Lee, who had presented himself as the final boss within the first few seconds. Felt like, you know, those uh, video game cutscenes when you have the first boss fight and you just... The, the game design is you're intentionally knackered and you have to get that fear of facing the boss throughout the game. I thought the flying head scissors spot was a really cute version of that, but because it was so rushed um, and a little bit messy, I never really got the idea of, oh, they can just get him out of there. They can actually win this. I thought it was a really good established plot point that they didn't really pick up on enough. And there were certain really badly timed moments, mm. but then some of the other sequence was, sequences, sorry, 
which is so tremendous that I kept getting into it, then a little bit out, then into it, then a little bit out. But ultimately, the match quality was completely immaterial. Like the moonsault, oh, he's missed it from that massive, massive horse. That's great, he might win. I was never allowed to linger on that emotional feeling because this was too abbreviated Mm. for its own good, but who cares, the acclaimed are the champs. Yeah, I think you and your rundown did a better job of articulating the suspense and drama than the match actually did. The way you <laughs> described those moments was how the match should have felt. But I agree with Subject. I'm not sure that always came across during the action itself. Um, I would describe the all-out match as great. I would describe this as nice. I would say at full gear, they have the opportunity to have great and nice and yeah. get that perfectly right. Television is obviously going to restrict to a degree what you can do with things. There are ad breaks to consider. There are time constraints in general, and we know that they're less of a concern on a pay-per-view stage. So I really do think full gear is the opportunity to perfect what we have here with the acclaimed and um, swerving our glory. I found the uh, Billy Gunn finishing, you know, so just described these at the top of the podcast, but I found him here like a little too egregious mm. for his own good. I'm finding now his involvement with the acclaimed, and I think there is a good argument to suggest that he was kind of a key component to helping them get to the level they're at now. But this, for some reason for me, and I guess I'm probably in the minority because everybody's scissoring in the building. The scissor me daddy ass t-shirts probably selling out the ass. But it feels a li- like him with the acclaimed is starting to feel like the big show doing Daniel Bryan's yes chant for me. It's just like, out of the way you. Like, uh, this is about the other people and less so you. But I'd, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's just a feeling I've got. I'd like to see him probably physically removed in order to ensure that isn't the finish of what I would guess would probably be a two out of three falls match at full gear between these two teams, and it'll be a test of the Acclaim's metal as tag team champions. Swerve and our glory can finally fall apart when they probably go a fall up, and it seems like all their tension has been recovered. There's loads of fun you can have with that. You can really have an epic out of the, the pretty cool rivalry you've developed between two. Yeah, because one half of that team's a heel. Isn't yeah. It? It's, it's, like, it's not babyface versus babyface. It's babyface versus tweener, and one of them's a babyface and one of them's a heel. Yeah. But you know what? Keith Lee doesn't realise it Yeah. So what I found really interesting about this match, like, as I was watching it, and then even more so on reflection is that the all-out match was all about seeing the acclaimed in an entire new light levelling up from a match that had virtually no build. In the rematch, a match that felt built, this night was for the acclaimed, this match was for the acclaimed, I found myself marvelling at what a signing Swerve has been. And so good. Wanting to isolate Keith Lee's face acting for praise because he had quite a tough job of when to be the heel, when to be the baby face with um, those like sort of shots to his face about what do I really think of my opponents? What do I think of my partner? And, you know, maybe this is like, maybe this is what, if if only they would just do a bit of this in the performance center and then focus on all the other things that make you a bit wrestling. <laughs> because he took all of that and I thought he used it brilliantly. I thought like every time Keith Lee knew he had the camera, like every time he knew he had the camera, he was like projecting mm. something, and I thought he did a great job of that—the space between the moves and all that. It's such a shame that because he won't hear that because he only listens to science podcasts, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the I think the rematch hopefully will be the like perfect platonic ideal of the first two matches. Uh, backstage to the number one contenders. Remember them, FTR. Lexi Nair's there chatting with them. They congratulate the acclaim. They say, "Can we have a go now?" Uh, but before they can even say that properly, they're interrupted by the gun club, who are just arseholes. They're just arseholes and basically say, we're the younger version of FTR. Was there a line here that they said, when were you last on TV? Uh, on TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What, you, you didn't like the, the number of interruptions on this show in terms of uh, interviews and the like. Well, it was just one of them things where you feel like that was addressed 
and they've kind of removed a lot of those. Yeah, it's we're always saying like you could. This is a show where you can, if you want, strive for perfection. Maybe not so much anymore, but certainly this interruption thing was a huge problem. And then it felt like it had virtually been eradicated. And then to get three off the belt here again, it's less of an issue until you see the next one and the next one. And then it's like that's criminal, mate. That's absolutely unacceptable. Like pro wrestling matchmaking and TV storytelling. So I didn't have a huge issue with this in isolation. It's I don't know. Is it a stretch to think the gun club should fancy the chances against FTR? Or is that the whole point of trying to put over the firm as a group now that has empowered all of its individual members, as we would see in the next interrupted interview <laughs> segment? I don't know. I had a problem with the interruption, and I had a problem with the actual content. I thought that FTR should have wiped the smiles off their faces. This, like is, this got, isn't the match on Rampage. This is a slap in backstage. Yeah, yeah, they got disrespected to their face. I think they try to sell it to FTR with the idea being that we could eat these idiots alive in our sleep at our whim. But at the same time, they just got bitched out to their face and just kind of stood there and took it. And they didn't really know... If they had not done anything physical, because they're trying to build interest in the match, which you kind of ruin if you just have like a, a brawl or whatever, they could have just like looked at each other and laughed and said, like, what are they thinking? <laughs> and look at the trouble they're going to be in. But they were just like, yeah, he better run. <laughs> it just felt so weird and like contrived and now it's not look like bitches. As long as this was the only example of a baby face just being a force and stand there and taking a promo battle. Yeah, I don't get that again. Everything will be yeah. fine. Yes. Uh, so Tony Schiavone brings out <laughs> Wheeler Yuta uh, for his thoughts on the main event. And I'm there going, uh, it's nice this, but I'm looking at my watch going, Got, got a lot to cram in here. That was the Jay Lethal match graphic drop this week in the opener, wasn't it? Uh, Later, we're going to hear from Wheeler Yuta. What? <laughs> Why? Uh, but of course, <laughs> out comes MJF to a snap crackling. Baby. Uh, calls Shimoni a fat old brick in the Wilborn household. Double baby. Uh, <laughs> the first version of that was even better. Can you remember? He, it was MJF versus Marco Stunt ahead of Double or Nothing 2020. <laughs> I remembered, yeah. And MJF, because he's a genius and because he's piss funny, um, was trying to like interact with anyone he could to try and make an atmosphere to make it not just wrestling with no fans. Hey, Shivani, you fat prick! <laughs> <laughs> Tell Jungle Boy that this is what's coming from a double or nothing. So good. Hey, Shivani, you fat prick! <laughs> fat boy! <laughs> fat boy! Um, uh, he says, you are your mama mid. Uh, you'll never receive a reaction like this. This crowd loves me so much, they drink my spit. <laughs> Got me. Uh, and they let me sleep with each and every one of their wives. You <laughs> um, fires back, though, saying, oh, didn't you just get engaged? She'll probably walk out, out on you, just like you walked out on AEW. No! Oh, sorry. Press, <laughs> press, press the wrong button there. Um, what button were you going to press, Will Vaughn? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, you no. Uh What button were you going to press, Will Vaughn? <laughs> he wasn't my car. That's that that's, that's makes sense in context. So what button were you going to press? Got oh. a boner. <laughs> oh, I know what it was going to be. I was going to say, I can't wait to see them clashing. Uh, right. <laughs> MJF says, hey, give it up for wheels. Uh, he went from <laughs> paint drying to a bet rock personality. <laughs> oh, cool. Wheelie has just been murdered on live television. <laughs> 
He uh, wishes good luck to the Blackpool Cuckold Club. Well, never call them, never call them what they're meant to be called anymore. A lot, uh, lot of deaths here. <laughs> yeah, and, um, a lot of dead bodies. <laughs> says whoever wins can lose to me anyway. Uh, he runs, runs down uh, Danielson, saying, oh, you can get advice from him how to get injured. Runs down Moxie and then says, actually, don't get advice from him. Because uh, he's a bit not all there, uh, and then he starts referencing Regal and Pills. Utah clops clocks him with that. Uh, MJF headbutts him, <laughs> knocks down that fed old prick Tony Giovanni. <laughs> Utah goes for a double leg and out of nowhere. <laughs> Remember Wardlow? Who? W. Morrissey comes <laughs> in and snatches him out of the out of there, chokes the life for him, uh, and then MJF hits him with the beautiful diamond ring as security separates them. Good and bad here. <laughs> the the bad, and it was pretty damn bad, shocking decision from Tony Khan this. Yeah. Like, really, uh, yes, he deserves more promo time to develop his character and build interest. Good in cocky his... heel as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, it's weird. He's got that problem that a lot of wrestlers have where disposition is perfect for one side of the face heel alignment. Wrestling style is on the other and I've watched him work heel before. He'd be brilliant. I think he is actually a better heel than a babyface. Um, he floundered out there. I was cringing on his behalf. Time stood still when he was trying to get the worst material I've heard all year <laughs> out of his mouth. There was a bit where even MGF, who has to be in character, was just going, "What the? Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, hurry up, mate! Jesus Christ!" and it was a terrible night for Wheelie Eater. He was always going to get eaten alive by MJF. Yeah. And the idea, and they salvaged it because they had the perfect idea to get heat by kicking Tony Schiavone's fat ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. His words, not ours. MJF's words. Yeah. MJF's words, not ours, of course. I'll never say that. And that's the thing. You would never say that about Tony Schiavone because he's the avuncular, beloved soul of the company. So to get heat on him was majestic. Um, which salvaged the idea that MGF's meant to be a heel because this was the Rock eats Billy Gunn alive stuff. That was my exact comparison. And I the, saw that comparison yesterday. Meltzer made about 1999 The Rock and MGF, and there was a bit of discourse. It was like, did you try and create the perfect example to show that Meltzer's correct? What's the, like, I know, I know. How did the, yeah. Stupid this. He was like a lamb getting led <laughs> to the slaughter. It was like... Well, well, you're at slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Wheelie, you're, you're going to be fighting the Black Knight, but don't worry, we've got you some nail clippers just in case you're ready <laughs> to use them. You're like, no, what are you doing? Either don't have him say anything or give him some, like have him be the one who swears maybe or whatever, not just go, eh, what about your engagement? But I'm not going to talk about that because I'm a good guy. It's just like, oh. It's just lame. Yeah. It's so bad. The not his fault, like you said. They should have just had MJF gives his thoughts on the main event to Tony Schiavone live. You would have got the quarter hour if they advertise MJF doing a promo and not just having him interrupt. So strategically, it makes sense. And you don't kill a baby face. He did a phenomenal job of getting himself over and getting boots to get over. But yeah, they undid a lot of work. Yeah, it's kind of a nightmare, this. Um, I loved Big Cass, a bunch, uh, like amongst a bunch of short guys. He looks amazing. <laughs> like the, it's, it's always been the method with him. Like put him, he's a he's seven foot tall and you can't teach that. So put him with short people. He's got great hair. He's got he's looking jacked still. So I'll take that all day long beating up these security nerds. Um, there's some nice Tony Schiavone LTST law taking place here because MJF's had like the tiniest of Twitter beefs with Adam Cole, who also hates Tony Schiavone. So <laughs> the then two come back and compete to see who can be the cruelest to the nicest guy in the roster, or does Adam Cole have this incredible babyface thing where he's like. 
you're all right now. That's quite nice. I love the LTST as well, so I'd interrupt that. Shivani from day one has been saying MJF's a little prick. Like total professional elsewhere, yeah. he'll not go too footed into other heels, even if they do atrocious actions, but he makes a specific point and he has done for three beautiful years of saying, I hate this little sh- this little bastard. MJF is on such a rich run of form that uh the Blackpool Combat Club becoming the Blackpool Cook Cook Club <laughs> might have worked too well. That is absolutely brilliant. Like, that mocks this. Everybody's, like, really charmed by Regal's little flirty ways with Excalibur and, like, hard-hitting dojo vignettes about, like, how much they all kill each other just as training. And he's kind of made it look pretty silly with an incredible nickname. <laughs> that is, that is again, The Rock. Yeah. Because he was kind of given the green light. To, like, Jericho on his first night in. And it's like, you're wrestling some loser called Hooven, dude. And it's like, well, you killed WCW, you killed Chris Jericho, you killed everybody, but it's rock! Like, <laughs> MJF, he is there. He's getting that sort of, like, free reign at the moment. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, right, enough uh, backstage uh, interview interruptions. Let's go backstage for an interview <laughs> uh, with Jade Cargill. Um, she's uh, talking up her match, which will go down on Rampage, which we'll preview, of course, tomorrow. Myself and Sige, special two-hour Rampage Grand Slam. Uh, she's facing Diamante, and Diamante reveals that in her corner is going to be rapper Trina. This upsets Jade. She says, Kira Hogan, did you know about this? She's your girl, blah, blah, blah. She storms off i got to be honest, again, I, I don't know who Trina is, so I don't really have much to say but about this. We're all this. very uncool here. Yeah. yeah. Anything should we say? Didn't what? do anything to elevate my interest in this match, which is stunningly predictable. Well, I will... But they didn't, at least they didn't put it next to the women's match. They've separated out on this show. Oh. It was a textbook Tony Carnova thing, wasn't it? Just, like, you know Jay Cargill's going to win by ever slightly protracted squash. Just put Trina on the match graphic. So you're not going to believe he's going to be... Like, this might not be a squash tonight because Trina's here. Jade Clark, she will win. But, like, why make this all feel so fake? Mm. Just put the celebrity on the poster. Mm. Uh, then it was time for Pac and Orange Cassidy for the uh, AW All-Atlantic title. Uh, Cassidy knows exactly how to wind up Pac from moment one. Throws his sunglasses at him. Pac's like, right. 
And then he gets taken down and sent outside. And Pac's like, how have I... He almost looked around like, how am I here? And that prick's still in the ring at one point. Um, Cassidy does his kicks. Drop kick. Pack responds with a shotgun drop kick to try and take his head off. Awesome. Uh, this, I think, was the point where you heard... You right, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Climbs back into the commentary booth. And they go... Everything okay there, Tony? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. It was, it was the grim acceptance of, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I suppose Tony Khan will probably fine MJF, but he did just hear he's getting boatloads of money, <laughs> so he's not going to do anything. <laughs> so, hey, Mike launches Cassidy into the post. Goes to the black arrow. Cassidy rolls to the floor, uh, and Pat goes, all right, out on the floor. I'll just take you out with some insane dive. Uh, this flipping, twisting thing that I think his hip basically hit Cassidy. So that looked like it sucked to take. Um, Pack hits a top rope drop kick when they get back in the ring. Uh, controls the action throughout the commercial break. Uh, <laughs> again, Cassidy thumbs up. Pack's <laughs> like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna break that thumb off your hand. Um, Cassidy tries to roll outside again to avoid the black arrow, but Pack is like, I've had enough of this. Snap German suplex. Goes up top, and Cassidy doesn't wait till he's jumped off the top rope to put his feet up. He just puts his feet up and goes, jump into them. Pack's like, oh, I bloody hate you so much. Uh, almost suckers Pack in for a roll-up. Uh, hits the stun dog millionaire, and it looks like maybe Orange Cassidy's going to win this. Um, and that sends Pack outside. Cassidy hits a dive through the ropes and a diving DDT off the top when they get back in the ring. Oh, my God. Yeah. Satellite DDT. One, two, uh, Pack kicks uh, kicks out. Um, Pack counters the orange punch into a brutalizer. Cassidy turns that into a roll-up for a two. And then Cassidy finally connects with that orange punch of his. One, two, Pack's shoulders aren't moving, but he grabs the rope at the very last second. I thought that was sensational. Goes to the outside. Great shot. Yeah. Mm. Goes to the outside uh, and unbeknownst to the referee, disguises the fact that he just clocks Cassidy with the uh, ring bell hammer thing, rolls him back in, one, two, three. I thought this was a great second match. If you can forget the second match, that was cursed because <laughs> Orange Cassidy got his lights out. I usually hate it when my intelligence is insulted, but on this occasion, it's fine that they kind of treated this like a sequel to the Revolution 2020 match because you don't really want to remind the audience of like a crap, nothing, match that was just cursed. Every now and then he can just work us and he can lie to us. I'm like, fine, because I'd rather believe it didn't happen anyway. And they're usually so great with the like company-long continuity that I'll just forgive them this once. On that basis, as a sequel, with the idea that we'll get a third at some point, again, I would have done this another night. Another night, or at least I would have done a different finish on one of the other... Um, matches because it was redundant the fact that it wasn't clean for the third time and that's when it always feels worse like the last time you do it but there was certain this is all about the comeback spot how is he going to trick pack this time because he's done the roll out the ring and pack's like nope suplex some of his stuff like i don't usually like slow methodical wrestling i think i've been quite vocal about mm -hmm. that but watching pack control people i just love it I just turning me on <laughs> It's all about the comeback. And like what I loved about the leg up was like, you stupid bastard. Mm. And I think I related to this match because it wasn't just Pac versus Orange Cassidy. 
it was me versus Adam Wilborn trying to record a podcast without you talking for 10 minutes and just disrupting my workflow day <laughs> with your procrastination and your genuinely really hilarious antics before we press record. So I related with Pac here yeah. and found it stunningly cathartic <laughs> when he was suplexing Cassidy on his neck. Yeah. But the comeback was so great. The leg up thing was like, you didn't telegraph that. You look kind of like an asshole, but like he popped commentary on me and mm. it was all sort of, this is like widespread bit of fun. And then that's how he got him. That's how he got me. New trick. And he got him. And that initiated the comeback, which is what the Cassidy match is all about. And this was a stunning one because the ruse was great and the selling of the comeback and the bumping on the comeback on Pac's part. Oh, my God. The two, my neck's broken and the effect it has on my entire body is it's been destroyed. Twice was just glorious. How does he do that with his body? Oh, my God. Mm. The finish I've been through, so. Yeah, this Pac and Orange Cassidy should be kind of the perfect AEW legacy rivalry, if you think of the differences between the wrestlers and what it is they bring exactly. Orange Cassidy is this comedic character that had no right to work on a mainstream level because WWE had dictated what the mainstream was, and AEW reframed the possibilities of what it could be. Similarly, Pac is this supreme, mega-athletic all-rounder of a pro wrestler that also couldn't have been... A, the biggest star on the mainstream stage because the mainstream stage was dictated by WWE. So AEW completely changes what that is and then shows you these two wrestlers that can use the mainstream stage completely differently and then brings them together and then you see that whole thing, that whole sort of like mix perfected at Revolution 2020 and then like, I'm the same as Sidgwick. I was kind of willing to forget that kind of like cursed match and indeed I suppose their interactions in the triple threat with Kenny for this to be the sequel but it doesn't matter because you can include them later down the line by saying look here every time they interact this is who they both are they both see what AEW is as being done very differently and both methods can work and all that thing like in the I love Pac like trying to laugh off the kicks but getting progressively more pissed off as a haha this is fine I'm getting annoyed again like so that was like straight away leaning into what this should have worked nobody seemed to tell Queen's that this was this match because it, they very rarely came proper, proper unglued for it. And again, mm. you could say that was just where it was on the card. Maybe something was destined to be a bit of a break. Something always for the is crowd, the you know. Shows, and, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't have expected it to be this. No matter where this was placed, I would have assumed this would have been a success on the night. And it wasn't. And sometimes you have to be like, well, who'd you put that on? Do you, I don't like, I'm hesitant to blame crowds typically. Is it on the wrestlers? Is it on the placement of other matches? I don't know. This didn't click too well in the arena and then that finish when you've already got a building that's not hugely with a match getting a finish like that I kind of had a bit of a bad taste in my mouth after this I just I was I made a point last night on Twitter watching live and I think some people have misread it so it's like just to address that a little bit Orange Cassidy can lose matches in AEW this is a wins and losses promotion right I'm not thick I don't think Orange Cassidy has been buried because he just lost a pack. Not least because these two will fight again and possibly fight forever in terms of AEW stories I'm annoyed, again, that I think they've fumbled the ball with Orange Cassidy again. Mm. I didn't even really like him the last time when it was accused when they were accused of fumbling the ball, when the Jericho feud didn't really make him. But I could see that it was happening. This time around, I was all in, and I kind of think they've, they've knackered it. Why did they buy Jane for this? Yeah, Tony Khan good point. books so long-term that he neglects tappings sometimes and he had one like the Will Ospreay match was received so magnificently that when he comes out to Jane and opens that dynamite after the fact 
well, you've got to run him against John Moxley. He might not beat John Moxley. And this is the point. I'm not asking for wins. I'm not asking for title. Yeah. I'm asking for the stuff that plants seeds for wins down the road. You make a guy. You, do, you know, the amount of times in AEW that we see somebody go over, but somebody get over, that could and should have been Orange Cassidy. I think they've botched it again. Now, that's not to say they can't get him there again, but it's starting to feel frustrating when other things are not as good as they were on the show, when you see something handed to you and you don't make the most of it. And him losing here was not, oh, he's been buried by defeat. It's that he's been buried by just being tossed aside. And to be honest, I kind of thought he was going to lose anyway because I feel like the whole thing exists for Ethan Page. So I wasn't that dragged into the drama of who wins and who loses because I kind of thought Orange Cassidy was there as the spare prick at the wedding for the bigger match down the road for Pac. So, uh, yeah, a, a few bad vibes from the finish being cheap and the, the Orange Cassidy coming out on the losing end over what were otherwise some nice flashpoints that were yeah. poorly received. It, Pac, on Pac's control, in the ad break, Pac was controlling by slowing it down and he folded Orange Cassidy up with a suplex. Like, this is the point when hypothetically nobody's watching and Orange Cassidy is bent in two by one of those <laughs> snap Germans and you're like, so this is like, this is Pac's version of a chin lock and a, yeah. and a rope stomp. It's him just chucking Orange Cassidy around. It was like, there's so much of this that should have been so wonderful and so wonderfully received and it was neither of either. Maybe that's what it was for me, yeah, because I, I, I felt a bit like, ah, uh, when the finish came for this. Like, I completely understand why he did it, like you laid out, Sige. But like you say, that was the third in a row following three interrupted things. And like you say now, I'm going, oh, bloody hell. So they've had they've had Cassidy twice, arguably, that they've done that with. What's going on with it? I know he's Eddie Kingston's cut this amazing promo and done a fantastic thing about uh, suicide prevention and stuff like that. But like I was like, oh, he missed the boat with Eddie Kingston before. You've got like Danielson later on as well. I don't know whether I just, I just got... He's too good at building stars and he's too greedy in signing them. I think that, there you go. You can't all win. You can't all go to the dance. <laughs> um, it's almost time for the main event. So it's time for the women's match next. Tony Storm versus Britt Baker versus Serena D versus Athena. Uh, Four way for the interim AW Women's World Title. Um, a, a mixed bag, I think it's fair to say here. Some great spots, and then they kind of got a little bit lost, and then it's coming completely overshadowed by what came afterwards. Storm and Athena get rid of Deeb and Baker, and they get to work together for a while. Serena Deeb. Oh, my God. That bit where, who was it? Was it Athena and Storm? And she just went, oh, pin both of them there. Oh, yeah. Loved, I just love Serena Deeb. She makes, I'm not a technical wrestling guy. I'm a guy who grew up with just like, oh, oh big move. There you go. <laughs> but she makes me go, like, get really excited for stuff, stuff like that just because it's so beautifully intricate in there. One thing they always do with her whenever they get the chance to is like, oh, you know that cool intricate thing she does? What if she did it to two of them? Yeah. <laughs> and like, they're really great at like having a f somehow fold two of her submissions together. You look at her and go, she needs to be a coach. Uh, <laughs> deep leg lock storm, abdominal stretch into a suplex on Athena. Uh, Baker gets a series of pin attempts and a sling blade. Deeb uh, Storm drops Baker with a shotgun dropkick, goes up top. She gets cut off by Baker and Deeb, and they do the Tower of Doom with some help from Athena. She runs wild. Baker cuts her off with a thrust kick. They spill to the floor. Rebel gets involved. Of course she does. Um, Deeb hits a slingshot under the rope, throat first onto Storm, controls her in a ring. She gets Athena in a Boston Crab. Storm gets Baker in one as well, and they just start... Just stop trading slaps there with the hold still applied. Uh, Storm gets free, though. Sweet cheek music. Baker cuts her off. Deeb cuts Baker off in the ropes of the neck breaker and dragon, throughs, uh, dragon screws Athena's leg in the ropes. Snap neck breaker on Storm. She puts the serenity lock on. And you think, 
oh, this could be the finish, you know, and they big in up on commentary how no one really gets out of this. Baker, thankfully, though, comes in to break it up. Uh, Athena puts Baker in a fireman's carry and powers Deeb up at the same time for a sort of simultaneous fallaway slam and Samoan drop, which I think was the moment that Baker... Almost certain it was, yeah. yeah. Face exploded. Jeez. Um, Face buster by Athena on Storm. Deeb dives in to break the the count, though. Athena sends Deeb outside outside, but runs into a Storm. Tornado DDT. Uh, Baker goes for the Kerm stomp, but Storm counters that into a roll-up victory. Let's talk match first, Sige, and then we'll talk post-match in a second. Yeah, mixed bag, uneven. Various synonyms for that is the perfect encapsulation of what the match was. There were certain really good ideas here. Serena Deeb being the one to declutter the field and just slice through everyone else and make it all about her and her offensive stretch was great because you can believe that every single one of her moves can take someone out that would really knack your knee. And she's so precise and intricate and a strategist that you can see she's picking her spots and taking her moments. So that was a really good thread. Everything Tony Storm and Athena did. Oh, my God. It was just so good, and I want to see a singles match. Yes. So rarely does Tony Khan, through his pretty apathetic booking, makes me really want to see a match in this women's division. That's the beauty of a four-way or a three-way or whatever, is that you can get a glimpse of a match within a match, and you want to see the match itself get a feature-length Segment on Dynamite, Tony Storm versus Athena. Build Athena back up and give me that on a Dynamite special because that was great. Like, really sort of intricate, dramatic, creative work that has worked beautifully together. Very messy in other spots, this. And it's unforgivable, that tandem spot that Athena was either told or pitched or whoever came up with it, they deserve a kicking because that was totally reckless. It was one of those where as soon as you saw Athena try to do it, you're like, this can't end well at all. Someone's going to get crunched here, and Britt Baker's face exploded, and that's the absolute opposite of what you should seek to achieve when you are wrestling, and it was unforgivably bad, but again, that would have been the story were it not for the other story, but before we get to that story, Hamflood. Like, not a lot to add. Like I said this with one of the tag matches the other week, the multi-women match is the new cheat code for him not being, can't be asked to tell stories, or just have these because the matches almost guarantee themselves being a little bit better, because even though there was points where this fell apart, there was still enough to isolate for high praise, which is why it's such a successful cheat code. It's a bit of an old, like, well, and probably still now, WWE thing, where if you Triple H books literally a multi-person match every single week. And they have have that many good wrestlers that a lot of it can't fail. Even when it fails, this didn't fail. So there's going to be more of matches like this in the absence of any kind of proper stories being told. So you'll get plenty more of these. Um... And they certainly did work themselves out of the pickle that kind of worked into halfway through. The botch was like, it, like they should have seen that coming and thought of something. I else saw to, it coming. Yeah, they should have like thought of something else to do. I've never taken a bump in my life. I don't know, but that looked dicey from the off, and that's what they got. I feel um, guilty because I was like, oh my god, that looks amazing on Brit Baker. And when she wiped her own face, I mean, it tells you the amount of blood that was coming out of it that she could wipe her own face. It was still completely covered in blood, and she could make an entire handprint <laughs> across her stomach. There are, I think it's, I'll, I'll credit them at least a little bit with them. Um, they're still playing quite nicely with the um, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter stuff mm-hmm. like in the post-match. You could, you could tell from the reaction that when Jamie Hayter was like, what, you think we're not mates? That, like, the fans were actually really into that. So they've still got something there. But this still feels very much like you could do, as long as you have enough talented women on the roster, you can still do an infinite loop of these matches. So like a, say Athena gets injured tomorrow, but a Statlander returns. 
in She Goes, just like Karashida did, and you can just kind of keep doing this and not bother fixing the, the main problems. Although, like, here comes an incredible star to the mix. Well, yeah, before we do that, let's get the admin out of the way. It's time to play the game! And what game is that, Michael? Situation? Well, the game and the jingle, it's all designed to tear apart the apathy with which AEW books its women's division. Hopefully, I can't oh. hope, but hopefully this changes because they've yes. signed a game changer. The game, obviously, is called, well, this is ladies <laughs> nine, I'm thinking no, Cedric Murphy. And the, the aim is to, again, shine a big, glaring light on how formulaic, obligatory, and token the women's action is in AEW by guessing, all three of us, the first entrance theme for the first women's wrestler in the only women's <laughs> match. And whoever gets it down to the uh, nearest hour, minute, second wins the game. Yes. Hopefully we'll be able to retire this soon, this game. That's the thing. It's the game we don't want to play. <laughs> uh, but it is uh, now, this podcast is so popular, number one UK podcast in wrestling. Um, uh, it's now so popular, we can afford to fly out Adam Blair <laughs> to do live. No, he flew himself out and looks like he had a great time. Shout out to him. Uh, Adam Blair, at Adam Wilton 4 on Twitter. And you know this was a special show. Because bloody Michael Hamlet is the winner of Ladies Night for only the second time ever. Two and, two and seven. Uh, Podcast-wise, we the ones. Ladies night-wise, I'm the ones. So is Adam Wilton, because that's the only reason I did it. That's our lean at the gimmick, because he's having a really nice time. So well, Yeah, do you want to explain how you I, came to your time? What? One hour, 11 minutes, and 11 seconds. I think you can see the ones. That's why. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's the only reason. I, uh, I, uh, what it was, I thought this card would be arranged completely differently. So I couldn't really work out where the women to would To touch fit. on that, because I thought it was a little bit wrong. Yeah, so I thought that they were going to open with Danielson and Moxley, not because of any kind of MJFTs or anything like that, just because last year's Grand Slam opened so successfully with Danielson and Omega. You've had the Page and Brian going long before, so there's loads of drama for that, so you can tease out it going as long as you want. And the acclaimed felt like an inevitable victory, so that would have been an awesome way to send the fans home. And their ratings draws as well. Yeah. So it's they like kept the, maintained the viewership. T it being a tag match, it was something you could have raced to the finish if you needed to race to a finish. More on that later. So it just felt, <laughs> it just felt like there were your perfect bookends. And like, I did still think the women would suffer as a result of that. Mm. So the second hour felt inevitable, but the ones was a gimmick. Uh, yeah, shout out to, uh, to Adam Blair. Uh, he cut it fine. Like he flew out uh, yesterday um, and then got delayed getting out of JFK. He had to go to his hotel and then still make it. Just made it in time. He said, I've been awake for 22 or so hours. <laughs> but uh, he uh, had a great time despite the $15 beers. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. He needs to try Tony D Airlines because Stax has no bother getting to and from. He wants teleports, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and he's, he's posted a lovely photo with a nice... nice they, should, they should have... Asked, uh, we should have asked him for this shot because it looks amazing of him doing the scissor. Scissor me, Dadly Boys on Twitter at Adam Wilsport. And yes, he confirmed one hour, 14 minutes dead. Scissor me, Dadly ass. <laughs> <laughs> so we the Dadly and Will Bond's the ass. 
Yeah, he's definitely the <laughs> So, yes, post-match, that's what we need to talk about. Baker attacks Storm, because obviously she just got rolled up. Jamie Hayter comes down to make the save. Now, nah, bollocks to that. She gets involved with the kicking of uh, of uh, Tony Storm. And like you say, goes, well, you think I wouldn't be? Why would I be? Yeah. Big um, boss man-esque taunting. <laughs> like the way they sort of both turned and just like scowled at the crowd. Yeah. Athena goes, no, I'm going to help her. And it's like, nope, numbers game, because not only you've got Baker and Hater and Rebels knocking about as well, Serena Deeb gets involved in the kicking. And music hits, and you're like, what the bloody hell's that? And credit to them, I'm going to bury their production a little bit later, they let it breathe. They just showed you that the, the arena, as you said, the great wide shot, and then up on the screen, flashes, and I'm going to say it wrong, which either way I say it, Soraya, Soraya. So she always went by Soraya, I think, and every commentator said Soraya. It's so, uh, I don't know if it's an American thing, right? Because can you remember the great, um, that's not great controversy, but uh, discourse from 2019 when all the Yanks taking in Pac's debut at All Out 2019. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Pac. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Pac. These just guys because Craig. X-Pork. Is this one? Just because X-Pork. <laughs> yes. Just because uh, it was X-Pork, because Yanks have got... I think, being from Newcastle, I'm well informed that it's Pack. Pack. Yes. We are incredibly, incredibly literal with our <laughs> <Yeah>. application <laughs> of vowels in this part of the country. So it's not... Nice, flat vowels. Nice. Bath. Bath. We just... We don't go bath. <laughs> bath. On. We take vowels very They're literally. known as Tory vowels, I fear. So it's... <laughs> Well, there's certain um, stories that you have to read to your kid that if they try and... Um, the rhymekins. The rhyme wrong, it, it? I, yeah. I, I, I know sell it. I yeah, know, I know <laughs> no, sell, it. sell the You've rhyme. Got, I get the rhymes wrong on purpose because they're actually right. But yeah, so just as an incidental... I thought it was Park. No, just because X-Park was trying to do douche words. <laughs> that was what was cool back then. Doesn't mean that pack yeah. from the tune was Park. I wish his first name was Craig because that's the other word. Craig. 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 It's like, because you know, the, the Americans get the vowels wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and something like gack. And some of them, yeah. some of them can say cock, I think. Something like gack. Like what? I like the lick of twat, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so they get twat when it's twat and gack when it's cock. But trust me, given that he's from up here, right? <laughs> it's. Pack. Yes. You almost Sidgwick accented your own voice. I know, right? <laughs> What's J.D. McDonough doing it? So what, like bad what other name? very literal vowels do we have up here? Mm. Master. Master, yeah. Master. It is for ERs. Yeah. Master, yeah. So that's not very literal, isn't it? Because we just put an A instead of an ER. <laughs> very flat, that's the one. We're very flat with our vowels. Sunderland. Is the Sunderland. like the A sound? Well, Sunland, yeah, like just let us disappear. But like the let us disappear. Yeah, I'm not talking about Sunland though. I don't represent them. A's instead of E's. I don't do linguistic studies on that filth. <laughs> I still remember when I moved. When up we bake the mags, like A's, like it just it becomes this like one sort of bleh. And got yourself into a systemic um, wave of relegations as a result when you beat the mags. Bake the mags. I still remember when I moved up here and I was a text. What a I was pathetic going, little life, Hamflo. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I, t- I think it was Nicholas. I text to say like, "Oh, I'll you know I'll see you at the pub in ten minutes, whatever." And he texts back, "Waxer," and I was like, "Hello, what's this?" What's this? <laughs> Waxer just yeah. means great. Yeah, I've got it now. But back then, I was like, "I'm just going to go on Urban Dictionary." One second. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? So anyway, what we're here to talk about: Soraya Soraya, the former page of WWE, shows up. 
A huge pep. Deservedly so. It's a monster pep. She uh, she stares down. She storms down to the ring. She tells them, tells Baker and all them chums that it's her house now. I think this is a phenomenal addition for AEW. Please. You don't really know what it is. Like, she work in his No, she can go. They made specific mention on commentary. That's Soraya, and she can go. And great that there was no that. physical interaction with that, because it did toss out. It's the Sting thing. Remember yeah. you pointed out, like, oh, my God, he's just taking a powerball with Brian Cage. just changes everything we thought we knew. Yes, That's yeah. the exact yeah. same sort of She is going to him. take a power driver, and it's going to be like, <laughs> oh, no. But she will take one, I think. Oh, it's going to be Baker's stomp on her neck. Yeah. That's going to be the move, isn't it? Like, Bloody Athena hell. took that spike one yeah. right in the beatdown. Absolutely. This is a great addition, only if they present her as nothing less than a game changer. They need to take a shortcut at this point. All the little, as Hamlet points out, cheat codes. Getting someone like Tony Storm is a start, but she's still putting in great work and not getting reactions until the finish. This is all being stigmatized. It's rotten, quite frankly. It is rotten. Soraya needs to be... Um, presented as nothing short of a game changer. Mm-hmm. Do not dick around by putting her on Rampage with no entrance in a three-minute squash against some green person. Mm-hmm. Do the Baker thing and do it very, very quickly and profile it heavily throughout the shows. The idea has to be that Soraya is very much worthy of that pop. And she is. Without her series with Emma, WWE does not look like it does. It doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's There is an absolute double treble on my Giad series. If she uh, beats... What a lovely moment for someone who really deserves it as well. Oh, yeah. Professionally and personally. AEW was in need of something very, very, very nice. That was something that kind of like... It didn't go understated because we talked at length about it. Like all the com- all the returns of the likes of the Punk or the signings of Adam Cole or whatever. There was a certain nice glow around it. Daniel Bryan has gone to a place where he can be Brian Danielson and wrestle. Adam Cole gets to hang out with his mate and his partner and still pretty much be Adam Cole. Uh, you know, CM Punk has fallen in love with professional wrestling again and has made it like a... Kind of a discussion of mental health and all the rest of it. And what a good guy is buying everyone those ice cream bars as well. And uh, this one was possibly the nicest of all because, yeah. like her, she's spoken at length about obviously the personal and the physical battles. She left WWE on good terms, so there doesn't feel like there's any ill will there. She's Pop the Twitch stuff. Well, <laughs> but like <laughs> the kind of she, it hasn't made her fall out of love with wrestling. That was evident, and that did that to so many people being trapped within that system. The prospect of her, yeah, the dream matches instantly. You've got these like full of stars, which is what this division always needs. But the idea that you can do this lovely little double AMA, yeah, forbidden door thing where she beats Madison Rain. Madison Rain opens the forbidden door to her tag team partner, Tennille Dashwood. And you get Soraya and Tennille Dashwood in this nice sort of, we did actually start this women's revolution stuff and now we're getting to do it and we can still do it and it's still great and all that. There's so many things you can do with her that benefit everybody. Like you can leave some real, you can put down some massive long-standing markers by having Paige around. No matter, like, I don't know, I don't want to speculate on what like what she can do in terms of can she seal goo. But either way, like I think just the very, very basic level, she can do a smoke and mirrors match and it can mean a great deal more than a lot of the like work rate ones sort of hidden away in the last sort of three years of AEW. It's exciting. And they again to reiterate, they could put two women's matches on dynamite. They could have your world champion or world champion and Saray's debut. Make it happen, Tony. Come on. It's potentially huge, this. So, and you could feel it as well. You could feel it's the excitement. It's an indictment on them if it isn't. Yeah. It's so weird as well that they need Soraya to do the Women's Revolution in AEW, which formed after WWE's Women's Revolution. <laughs> but it would be some, some um, 
testament to her legacy if yes. she can do this. Good point. Uh, Michael Hamlet's highlight of the show came next. It's Darby Allen with a bag on the subway. I hate this. I just hate <laughs> this. I'm worth hating. I, well, it shouldn't be, should it? No, it shouldn't. It, but it feels like years have like, been made to suffer this nonsense for absolutely years. Television time is of such a premium in AEW. We, there are so many examples of how it's being like, carefully allotted here when it should be over there or whatever. And Tony Khan indulges Darby Allen in this absolute nonsense seemingly every week or every time there's a big match, <laughs> and I cannot stand it. I'd have rather had another clipped up bit of the road too with Danielson and Moxley to build up to the match that was coming next than this like filler rampage nonsense. Danielson saying just on that while it's um, on the tip of my tongue, I would be disgusted if he doesn't give me my best. Reminds me of a take that I once read and thought, I actually hate the person who's written this tweet because it's just so good. Danielson's character, this is not my words, and I can't remember the guy who or the person who um, tweeted it. Danielson's character is the guy who is such a sociopath and loves violence so much that he would start on you your mother's funeral and be disgusted that you wouldn't pick up the fight there and then. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's true, actually. It reminds me of... Uh, you know what a fight? It's, it's beautiful. It's the most honourable <laughs> thing you could ever do. What it's it's it? what she would have wanted. Yeah. <laughs> what is it a peacemaker says in the Suicide Squad? I love peace and I'll kill any man, woman or child to get it. <laughs> <laughs> right, main event time because we're running out of time here on the podcast, which is appropriate. Uh, John Moxley versus <laughs> Brian Danielson for the uh, vacant AW world title. I'm not sure, you know, you guys are very obsessive and very meticulous with your notes when it comes to these shows. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but I picked up MJF was sat um, with the poker chip. Did you see this? What was this? What the was this? There was one time, I swear, right, there was a point where the camera cut out to the wide shot. So we were watching the wide shot on TV, but the camera cut to MJF uh, on the big screen and he had nothing to react to. Nothing was happening. They loved cutting to MJF so much, they were cutting without what was happening in the ring, right? So they cut to him, and it must have been the 10th time that the crowd laughed. There was actual <laughs> audible laughter in the in the audience to be like, oh, it's MJF again. What's he going to do now? Nothing. He's ran out of faces. You've asked for every single one of his faces in the first, like, eight minutes of this. It is what I will remember most from a, Daniel, a Brian Danielson-John Moxley match is the persistent cuts to MJF. Do another thing, Max! Tony, do another thing! Tony's running going, looks bored. Don't say that in your world title match. <laughs> and he's got, like, because you've given so many opportunities to look at him, there is one point or another, I think it might be the third, the fourth, the fifth, I can't remember what cut, I was like... You look a real dick walking around with that big poker chip. Like, that's funny. That is, like, it's not the Sonic ring daft, but it's still pretty silly. <laughs> like, he's a serious man. Like, Tony Khan in his thing yesterday about, about this MJF thing, he's like, he looms over this now, and he's the devil, and we're the devil worshippers and all this. Like, that's pretty serious imagery. It's pretty heavy stuff. He's, like, holding a big toy. <laughs> like, a big plastic toy. It's like sitting there stroking it like a Bond villain with his cat. <laughs> when will be my moment? It's just... It's lame. It was really rubbish. And I don't know why they were so obsessed with it because I did put this on Twitter at the time. As the match was taking place and I was losing interest, I thought, well, conventional wisdom here from watching enough wrestling is that you show MJF, if the tease is to tease that he's going to do it, in reality, he doesn't do it tonight because somebody stops him. The surprise is that uh, MJF's been watching. His tweet, his awesome tweet was like, these two uh, like morons are beating the sh- out of each other. Like, keep going. Yeah, keep yeah. going. Like Perfect sort of thing if he's there in the gods picking his moment. Who's going to stop him when the moment comes? He's been awful to Tony Schiavone. You know, what's it going to be? It didn't even factor in at the end. You oh. could have shown him once, or you could have not shown him at all so that everybody asks the question, then nothing happens. You haven't even... It was sort of an implied promise that wasn't delivered as well. It was or, all of this was wrong for me. I think it was the him. opposite, in fact. Go on. I was going to say, or show him, 
or if you're going to show him this much, show him, show him, show him, and then go to show him and go, oh, he's not sat there anymore. Like, yeah, you go. yeah. And he, he can just say, oh, I just walked out. I couldn't be asked to watch those bollocks. But people think, oh, maybe he's going to run he down. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. have the exact opposite take to you. I think the idea was, look at how far up he is in the gods, unable to make his way down, not dressed for the ring. The idea was, he's not going to do the money in the bank thing, relax and invest deeply okay. in this match as it unfolds, because you're, it's worth your time. There's not this looming threat of everything you're watching is irrelevant because you think he might cash in because he said words to that effect. Do that twice. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, right, okay, invest in the match because MGF's not going to um, yeah. interfere. Here's MGF 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the match itself, uh, back and forth early on, Danielson takes him down, starts battering his neck, pours on the strikes. Moxley just has to sit there and take it. Multiple running, running boots in the corner from Danielson. Moxley finally avoids one and takes over. And uh, he goes, all right, my turn now. Double stomp to the chest, violent kicks. Danielson goes, all right, let's have a let's have a chop off then. Come on. Just brutal looking chops. Um, uh, Danielson, uh, diving knee off the apron outside led to a Danielson drop kick off the top back in the ring. Uh, but Moxie keeps going for this choke on Danielson throughout this match. Uh, he gets a choke on him whilst he's on the apron. So Danielson German suplexes him and posts him uh, to take his, uh, I think, to the break. Uh, Danielson targets this left shoulder of Moxley's, uh, keeps him grounded, hits the Busaiku knee out of nowhere, goes for the top rope drop kick, uh, but Moxley slams him down, puts him in a single leg crab, transitions that into an ankle lock. Danielson nearly escapes, but Moxley gets the leg capture release suplex and drops him right on his head. Again, just two brilliant workers making me think, oh, you, you're going to kill him, but they just work so well at the last second. They just, you know, magic in it, that sort of thing. Referee checks on Danielson. Moxley puts him up in the corner breaks his back, goes for the superplex, but Danielson crotches him and gets a back superplex of his own. Moxley counters a roll-up into a label lock on Danielson. Um, and this is, uh, you've got uh, your man on commentary talking about, uh, Regal talking about the fact that they've, you know, they work on everything and what could be your best move, I can now do because I train with you, but I also know, know how you would try and escape it. Really well laid out. Danielson escapes with some forearm strikes. Um, they lock legs. They bridge up at the same time. Just paintbrush each other. Uh, Danielson puts him in cattle mutilation. Uh, transitions that into the anvil elbows. It was weird seeing someone hit that on someone else and then sell it when they're not in the, you know, if it's someone not in the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, they just go, huh, someone in the breeze or something? <laughs> yeah. This one, it was like, bloody hell, all right, mate. Uh, Moxie gets up, uh, turns Danielson inside out with a lariat. Um, but Danielson backdrops out of a death ride and hits another Busaiku knee for a near fall. Uh, Moxie dares Danielson to kick him, grabs his bag, bad leg, curb stomp death rider for a great two count. Um, they have a forearm battle off a test of strength. Uh, Moxie's almost motionless after just getting kicked by Danielson. Uh, Moxie powers out of a triangle sleeper. Danielson gets a little bell lock. Moxley almost taps. He rolls to a stage to avoid a diving Danielson and hits a death rider out there. Um, very quickly back inside, we get a two count because the time is running out here. Moxley puts him in a choke. Danielson, desperation, tries to kick free, but eventually, despite a few reversals, Moxley still got him squeezing the life out of him. Danielson blacks out. I did like the fact that he was asking Regal, what happened then? Because I don't remember, as uh, Moxley is crown champion, because, yes, the referee does the old check on Danielson, realizes he's out, calls for the bell. Moxley is a three-time champion. 
and very quickly gets the belt before the show goes off the air. I absolutely love this. I thought it was very, very bold what they did. And I think they just about pulled it off. What they pulled off was something great. This is a totally different match too, but paced and structured quite similarly to Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan from Survivor Series 2018, where they do loads of stuff, or sorry, not much stuff, that's designed to get loads and loads out of the audience. But the idea that all the stuff that they do, what little of it there is, enhances the last three, four, five, six minutes to get the biggest reaction possible where Danielson against Lesnar just got killed for like 10 minutes, <laughs> just murdered, thrown around like a toy, some of the scariest German bumps you've ever seen, all to inform that three-minute comeback, which was just up there with his very best work ever. I feel like they attempted something similar here, and I can see why some people didn't really think it was great. I absolutely loved it. The story was that, as Regal said on commentary, this is a stalemate. Not only are they very tentative because they know what they can do to each other, but they've got a counter for absolutely everything. They know each other inside out. It was kind of like a stalemate, and it was very quiet, and it was very cagey and very tentative. And then I thought the genius spot in this match, which sort of catalyzed this incredible sequence of near falls, was that Moxley's teachings from Regal could only take him so far because he was against, effectively, Regal's best student, which was illustrated by the fact that Danielson took loads of this match and he thought, right, okay, I'm going to have to break away from the Blackpool Combat Club stuff here and just draw on the inspiration from an old brother. The curb stomp, the Seth Rollins curb stomp moment electrified me. I thought it was such an elegant story beat. Perfect for a match against Danielson. And it was positioned so well in the match. And this, the last three minutes, this was pulsating pro wrestling brilliance. But you expect something a bit different when you've got a massive stadium backdrop to play with. I think there's maybe a little bit of dissonance, but the last four or five minutes of this was just spellbinding stuff for me, and I loved it, and I think the the bold experimental story choice paid off in the end. Um, So I only disagree with the last bit of that. I'm still trying to work out why this felt like the wrong match for this night, because it was a tournament final between two people at a completely dead level, and that should... That should be enough yeah. for this for this particular story to get over. Maybe it is just something as simple as a stadium crowd want something a bit more popcorny. But I don't. To be fair, I don't want to make excuses for either of the wrestlers, nor do they need me to. It's John Moxley and Brian Danielson, and you did at very least feel in there in what I felt were kind of the the two few highs in this match. You did at least feel like you were seeing the two best wrestlers in the world. So that helps when they're competing for the title because no matter who wins, it's like the feeling of oh well, this is. Whoever's going to have the belt at the end is going to be the best. So that that's like the credibility that was never in doubt. Um, as a fan feeling experience, I only kind of came unglued once and it was for the paradigm shift, which I thought was an excellent near fall. But even that feels tainted after the fact because I think I was personally so invested in that because I thought Brian Danielson was going to win. So John Moxley seemingly nearly getting the victory was like, whoa, they had me there. Yeah. Right then, home straight we go. Brian Danielson about to get there. And then he doesn't. I love the finish because I love it when AEW refuses to compromise its, its core values and just does stuff because it feels like that might happen. John Moxley uh, hitting the paradigm shift on Brian Danielson and then monstering him and getting on top of him with a choke would beat a man. It doesn't feel fake that that is the finish. Unfortunately, hugely, hugely undermined by the presentation and the production. I've not seen 
Brian Donaldson move that quick since he was trying to hold up the Chicks in America sign for Derek <laughs> Bateman before like, they cut it off the edit. Like, he gets drilled with that paradigm shift, and the whole point is he's as good as out. He's got one last rolled shoulder in him, but as soon as Mox turns, but he has to roll back in the ring, like, sort of that fast. And then you look at your clock, and you see 59, and you're like, oh, that's why. But Justin Roberts told me there was 60 minutes. Like, really fake, really poor production, proper end of all-in Young Bucks and Rey Mysterio having to go 100 miles an hour to get to the finish stuff. Not necessarily their fault, but again, that plays to the celebration where it looks like there's going to be some sort of weird afters yeah. in the, the Cuckold Club between Regal and Danielson. But then the fight feed comes back on and you realise he wants to strap uh, Moxley instead of Regal, so it's just a nice thing, but that's lost. Like, that's on AEW. Like, is three years now... Do, do you look at that and go, three years... Oh, they're only three years old. They're going to have nights like that, or it's three years now and there's money in this project, you should be tightening up. I, I still don't really know if that, like, what that amount of time represents in terms of production foibles Cut like the that. the Darby Allen thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, like extra. I know you're picking on the thing that I specifically didn't like, but yeah, and that's why we talk about how important these minutes are within these shows. I'll so, say one thing, just to support that argument. To draw a parallel with the last kind of, if you like, startup, right? Triple H's NXT never had this problem. And this was takeover adjacent, wasn't it? Five matches in two tight hours. Yeah, that's how, even yeah. on the TV show. There was never. Oh, I know it was a lot of it was taped and everything. So let's go with the takeover. It's like never anything like this. No, never felt like oh, it's amateur hour at this point. How have you not learned? Mm. Loads of people criticise this weekly as well. They need to get the graphic up that says it's on whatculture.com forward slash WWE because uh, I used it for the news article on Moxley winning the title this morning. They need to get the graphic up that says new champion John Moxley. And he's flat on his back with a belt draped across him because there's no time to get the beauty shot. They've had to lay it across him. Go, slap the graphic on there now because they're seeing the clock backstage. I'll tell you one thing, though. This, I, with a, on a broad level, I completely agree with this point. A John Moxley match with this new style that he's like sort of perfected this year has never gone over 22 minutes. So I didn't really feel that much of, ah, uh, well, it could have went 25 or yes. 30. I just didn't feel it because of the way that he's really curated his stuff. I'm, I'm just as well. This is more preview for other things still to come slightly nervous with John Moxley as champion because I can't shake until I know that this MJF title change isn't now. Like, um, I, I think it's a really, really awful move to accept John Moxley as a safety net transitional champion. And I'm feeling uneasy. I should be celebrating that, like, it's John effing Moxley as the world champion. And yet again, I'm left going, ah, is he just there to hand this over because he's not that guy? And that's not kayfabe thing, that's more a reality thing that I'm nervous about. Yeah, that's the thing. I had a weird feeling at the end of this show, and I don't know whether it's it's what you just pointed out there, whether it's the rushed conclusion, whether it might be because I was like, ah, I think this was the moment you put it on Danielson. But then again, like you say, if you're going to take it off him in two weeks, you, this isn't you, your first title right Yeah, I think it's, it's CM Punk's fault. <laughs> I think it'll go Moxley to MJF, and Danielson and Garcia in parallel will restore the sanctity of wrestling to the AEW and ROH <laughs> world titles. I like that, yeah. And I'll maintain and their story. And they're matching burgundy trunks. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. Again, conditional. Yes. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite Grand Slam uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And don't forget, the best way to wish him happy birthday isn't a gif or a tweet. Buy his book, uh, Becoming All Elite, The Rise <laughs> of AEW, which is available on Amazon, wherever you are right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, tomorrow, myself and Michael Sidgwick previewing AEW 
Rampage Grand Slam, a special two-hour show that on Friday night, of course. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Grand Slam review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 